You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Hi, friends. I am so happy to be here with you. Thank you for joining me wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So excited that you have chosen to listen to my damn voice. <laughs> um, wow, today's podcast. So if you follow me, I am pretty much guaranteeing that you know about the basic witches. And these two girls, I just love and am obsessed with. Like Leah and Rachel are phenomenal women. And I learned so much from them. And I just love being around them and in their presence. And as I have gotten closer to them and we've become, you know, closer and closer friends over the last couple of years, um, I have learned so much about who they are and their life experiences and difficult things that they've gone through and, and the way they have approached their healing. And I was following, I am following Rachel and I, I'm, I was watching her stories and seeing kind of how she was evolving and, and transforming and the way she was moving into new creative spaces. And I reached out to her and I was like, Hey, I need to have a conversation with you. I need to have you on the show. There's a lot we need to talk about. And she was, of course, so kind to come on the show. Rachel has been through some really hard things over the last year or so. And I am in awe of the way she has handled herself with grace and power and feminine prowess. And so today's episode, we really get into turning towards trauma and how the witch has emerged after assault and as her powers have increased during this time and the way her spirituality and sexuality has saved her, the way she wanted to die and questioning life and so many of the things that have just come up over the last 18 months and how she has really turned in a new direction. She has an OnlyFans which if you don't know about that, we get into explaining all about what that is. But the way she has really embraced her sexuality in order to take back her pussy power. I mean, come the fuck on. Is that not amazing? It's amazing. I was so inspired this entire conversation. And I'm just so grateful that Rachel is willing and open to share with others in order to help people heal and help them come back to themselves in their truth and in their power with the witchiness that we all have. And if you haven't listened to Basic Witches, it is one of the fastest growing podcasts in the country right now. These two, Leah and Rachel, are getting some of the most incredible guests. They just had Margaret Cho on the show. Um, They have been nominated for multiple awards. They were just featured in Cosmo which we talk about uh, in this episode. So be sure to head over to Basic Witches, subscribe, leave them a review. They are fucking hilarious, but also they go there. They get really deep and it's a really beautiful experience listening to Basic Witches. All right, here's my girl, Rachel. So stoked to talk to you. Oh, Sorry. me too. I was like, you're my hero. <laughs> I love you. You're my hero. <laughs> we're like just we're just two goddesses who were meant to meet. Like seriously. 
no matter what we would have met we have Mm -hmm. the connections Mm -hmm. hold on let me get the dog dutchy come here oh get a dog (laughs) come here can you come over here one of those cuties can you come over here oh let me take this off so you don't jangle jangle the whole time Here here come over here yeah good boy lay down lay down you want to stay right there okay that's fine like i want to be in your lap while you do this mom i love that <laughs> i know um okay i'm so excited to talk to you can we please talk about cosmopolitan because that wasn't a thing when we booked this and now y'all are like blowing the fuck up even more than you already were what happened Thank you. Um, A dream came true. We specifically wrote that down over a year ago. We had, we had a um, recording at the comedy store and then the electricity like went out and we had to cancel the recording, but we pivoted and we went to a rooftop bar and got amazing drinks. And we're like, fuck, fuck this. We're going to use this time to dream. And we wrote down like a bunch of dream guests and a bunch of dream opportunities and one of them specifically was we're in Cosmopolitan magazine. Wow. And then yesterday we wake up to an article, like a blurb about us in Cosmo as one of the top 17 witchy podcasts. Um, I think we were like number six and we didn't even, we didn't know it was coming. They, it, it just happened. Um, I think the author uh, is a tarot enthusiast and she found us and she loves the pod. So she wrote about us. I mean, here's the thing that is just, this is what stands out to me right now because we had a client um, for everyone listening, Rachel and Leah are clients of ours. They're in soul fire with us, which Mm -hmm. we're so grateful for to support you. We were onboarding this client and she was like, well, I want to have, you know, a top charts podcast. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I had to break the news to her that like, you have to pay for those things. Now, many Mm. people pay to be featured in a Cosmo or in an article, like a Forbes thing or whatever, or to be listed as like a top entrepreneur. People are paying for that shit. That is not like Mm -hmm. organically happening most of the time. The fact that you guys just show up and do your stuff and people recognize you, I just want to say that speaks volumes about what you guys, what you girls are creating and how incredible and impactful it is Mm. that you are resonating with so many different types of people and changing their lives. Thank you. That's what motivates us and that's what fuels us. Like, from episode one, in episode one, I cried. And I think our guest maybe cried, which was a dude, a very dude comedian, Mike Glazer, who's an amazing man. Um, because we could all feel how special it was from the beginning. And like, we get in that studio and we like touch each other. <laughs> Not physically. You know what I mean? Um, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I would like to. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and. I remember driving home from episode one, Leah and I just freaking out in the car, like, holy shit, this is big. We could feel it from episode one when we had no numbers. And then we'd be reflecting recently, like, remember when we'd be so excited that we got a hundred downloads, a hundred humans listened to us. And now it's like, oh, we have almost 300,000. Like, it's crazy. Um, But what I tell people is like, dedication. We've never missed a witchy Wednesday, even with insane trauma happening, even with the pandemic happening, 
Now, some of that was luck that we happened to be stocked up. We, we couldn't really predict that, but maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe it was the universe being like, you have to keep putting this message out there. And like you said, we're changing people's lives. Like I think about a year into doing the podcast, we got the most like heartfelt letter I've ever received from someone telling us they, that we actually saved their life. Like they found our podcast and listening to it saved their life. And that's not to brag in any way. That's like, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that for some reason I have this gift of being able to speak about these issues and everything. You know what? I was just, um, I was talking about the pod course and I was saying podcasting is so special because it is a medium in which you have to be able to speak and in order to teach and to connect and to have that genuine, authentic conversation, there is a, a level of skill and vulnerability at which you need to come forward with. And what I see, and I'm sure you feel this way, is Instagram is like, yes, so many of us can take cute pictures and put on a pretty outfit and like write a cool caption. It doesn't feel like that resonates the way it used to. It doesn't feel like that captures the essence of the human experience anymore. But to be in a podcast and to share, and we're going to get into all of the things that you've been going through, to share the way you do, the way that can reach someone, it feels like you're having an intimate conversation with someone. It's like you're in their bathroom with them or their kitchen or their car or their bed. And they're like, oh, you know, it's it's Rachel and Leah and we're having a conversation and they're here for me. Versus, oh, let me just read this quick caption. And yes, of course, that can have impact. But I think what you have done with the podcast in that level of vulnerability and showing up so fully, that is what has made the biggest difference. Mm, thank you for reflecting that. And you know, you're doing that too. And that's why we connect. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened when you came on the show. Um, and I feel like, you know, I get a lot of compliments of like, you're so strong. And, and I do think my strength is my vulnerability, like Brene Brown says. Um, but it's funny because it, it actually benefits me <laughs> the more vulnerable I've been. And the more that I've shown up, the freer I am. And I have been striving for like cracking my chest open style freedom, like just I am so here and I am so me. And like, the, yeah, the more I share, the easier that gets. And it's my mantra, no fucks given. Mm -hmm. I watch, yeah. And I watched many shifts that you have gone through. I mean, we've all lived like 12 <laughs> lifetimes this year. So there's that. <laughs> I just posted a meme and it was like the, the many, what was it? The many decades I've lived through. And it was like January and February, 2020, March, 2020. And then it was like October 1st. October 2nd. <laughs> They're like their own decades. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much accurate. That's accurate. Um, but because of that, I feel like you have gone through so many transformations this year individually. And it has been so beautiful to watch. And just, you know, before we even started recording, like just seeing you so light and so free and so cracked wide open and so aligned and in your truth, it brings me so much joy to witness that because I saw like how hard things were for you at the end of last yeah. year. Yeah. And it was so sad and it was so hard. And I can't even imagine what that was like for you. And I'm just curious yeah. for you to be where you are now, a year later, almost exactly. Yeah. A year later, 
what it feels like within your body to, and I, God, I have chills everywhere right now (laughs) to, (laughs) to witness yourself in that transformation and give yourself credit for everything that has happened and all the Mm. choices you made in response. Mm. Thank you for seeing me. And I'm crying because you do, and you have, like, you've been a guardian angel in this crazy journey. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And I know you get it, unfortunately. Um, and like you said, how does it feel to see me? That's the whole thing. It's, it's this awareness. And it's so crazy because what we're referencing was a sexual assault that I was the victim of a a stranger who broke into my home and tried to rape me. Um, and I got away alive and not raped, but assaulted and extremely traumatized. And I left my body in that. So it's, it's the whole thing is so crazy because starting from the moment it happened, I saw myself from outside my body and other survivors know this feeling. Um, and it was a slow, hard progression to re-enter my body. But what I maintained was an ability to see myself from outside myself and also within myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the way I describe it is like I died that day and I was reborn. So I was a newborn with the consciousness of an adult. I got to watch myself grow up. And that looked like not being able to walk, not being able to get up, not being able to even go to the bathroom alone sometimes because I was so terrified. Um, not being able to eat, like literally the things a newborn can't do physically. Um, and I also want to emphasize like this phenomenon that it is possible to heal and it's hard work to heal. So those of you listening that have deep rooted trauma, that's like probably 10 years old or more, you know, this, it's not going anywhere but I also want you to know that it is possible to address it and it's hard, but it's possible. I want to get into that because I've been in a state of letting go of the idea of doing the work and really being Mm. in the practice. Mm. For me, Mm -hmm. I felt like I had been working my whole life and that felt like it kept me from healing Mm. because I was constantly like, doing rather. Yes. I was like, God, this is so hard. Why is it so hard? And it's not that healing, especially from trauma, isn't hard. I'm definitely not negating that because, you know, we in it, but like (laughs) there's a, there's a level of allowance and showing yourself grace and surrendering that I have witnessed within you that I want you to address because as much as I do feel it is hard. You have gone about this in an, a way of embodiment mm. in truly feeling and being with it, not mm-hmm. necessarily, let me do all the things to fix it, make it better. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things was asking for help, which thank goodness, a couple years before this happened, I learned for the first time ever how to ask for help. And that's part of the surrender. So when I, so when I got dumped suddenly out of an eight year relationship, just a couple of days after being raped by my ex, um, 
which goes unprosecuted while my attacker is in prison right now. It's a whole, the whole, that whole thing is fucked up, but I learned how to ask for help and thank goodness, because that's what I needed to do with the attack. I, and the thing, like, I think what you're seeing is that I turned towards it. I didn't turn away from it. I turned towards it head on. And what I mean by hard is painful. Mm -hmm. It's painful, but the choice to face it head on wasn't hard for me. I knew in my body that this is so insane. There's nothing I can do about it, but face it head on, face the healing head on. And I think that's why it looked embodied because I didn't fight it. I didn't try to be like, I'm okay. I absolutely was like zero level of okay. And admitting that and asking for help. Mm. How did you newborn? Yes. How did you know or feel to make that choice for yourself? Well, at first I was in shock for many days and I was in what I call in my book, soldier mode, um, adrenaline, obviously from the, the shock and, um, soldier mode is like survival mode where I was like extremely alert, couldn't sleep, you know, natural reaction to a trauma. So during those first few days, I was trying to like, keep going. And I, I even tried to go back to work <laughs> and I laugh now because it's like, girl. Yeah. And, and when I did try to go back to work, I can, I could see myself from outside myself. I wasn't in my body. I was a zombie. And I think when the shock wore off and I had this, this moment, I described like, um, crying from the inside out in a way I never had before. I could feel how this was a full body overwhelming grief and there was no fighting it. So the surrender was almost inevitable for me. Like there, it was so extreme. There was no fighting it. And I just gave in. Did that feel like, um, rock bottom for you? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's beyond that. Like, mm. I feel like I was between worlds, like in a hell. Um, it's, I mean, it's unlike anything I had ever experienced, obviously. And I don't wish it on anyone, but at the same time, it's a gift because now I'm in like a heaven <laughs> because I went to those depths and because I didn't, turn away from it, but I faced it. That's like, it, it showed me how brave I am. And that proved my strength to me. Not only like, like even from the beginning, I kind of recognized that I saved my own life, but that all those conscious, like good realizations don't come until later in the healing. Mm -hmm. Like the healing is this deeper than rock bottom depth of darkness, like nothing else. And the, you just have to be in it. And I was so lucky that friends like you supported me financially, that there was a GoFundMe so that I didn't have to force myself to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And so that I could just be so, 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 so sad and hurt. When I went through my assault, I wasn't spiritual at the time. I mean, I mm. guess I was like, like getting into it, dabbling, but I didn't really have that sense of spiritual connection or embodiment or connection to myself or, you know, maybe a higher power, but I was kind of in this weird, like newbie place. Right. But, mm -hmm. and I don't compare this, but for me, my rock bottom was losing our puppy. 
and recently, yeah. And for me, I questioned everything. I questioned God. I questioned spirituality. I questioned the point of life. I was like, like what you just explained, I felt beneath rock bottom. And I was like, I'm not sure I want to live anymore. Maybe I should die. Like maybe this is it. Maybe there is no God because what God would make this happen? Uh, Spirituality. If one person tells me like there's a bigger picture and his life meant something, I was like, I will fucking smack you so hard. I couldn't. I couldn't. I I was like, I was in complete like, screw this. I'm not teaching this anymore. I don't believe in it. This is fucking bullshit. And that lasted for four or five days, maybe. And then I was like, I talked to somebody, thank God, again, asking for help. What a gift, right? What a, what a brave thing to do. And I, I was like, oh, right. I totally believe this shit. (laughs) I'm like perspective, God, angels. Yay. I I can hear Remy talking to me. This is amazing. I say all that because I'm, I'm wondering if you went through a period of like, questioning the point of life and God and spirituality and all these things that you had been immersed in for, I I don't even know how long. Oh yeah. And it's interesting because I would say for me, I actually still held on to those things and felt like there was no point, Mm. which is almost worse because I was like, yeah, I get it. I get that. This is going to bring me strength. I know that my light is forged in the dark. I know that my witchy powers are going to be increased after this. I could feel it day of. Um, I also know that part of what saved saved me was my sexuality and my spirituality and how that allowed me to pivot in the moment with this attacker. Um, but also I felt like dying for way more than four or five days. Mm. Um, it happened many, many times. I mean, I would get in the bathtub and just cry just to paint a picture. I'm talking about no water, just clothes on crawl into the tub in a little ball because I could feel, at least I could feel the tub around me because I have a very small tub. So it's a tight squeeze, Mm -hmm. um, and just cry the hardest I've ever cried and, and see absolutely no point because it felt like this sick twisted experiment we're in that's kind of how I I was seeing it like and it's like once you see something that dark um like my attacker looked like a monster that day I I don't actually have the answers but I think that I know he was on meth and so he literally looked like a monster and he crawled out from under my bed I mean what the fuck that's a monster um and to see that that exists in the world, like it shatters the world for you because, and, and people who have experienced death or loss or trauma, like they get, they get a version of this. Um, yeah, it's just really fucking sad. You have to grieve that the world is not necessarily as nice a place as you had thought before this happened Mm -hmm. and you can never unknow that. So you're grappling with in your healing, like what the fuck is the point it's fucked up out there. And that's just real. I mean, I still hold on to that. I'm way more in the light and I'm feeling this embodied joy again. Um, but I still hold on to that. It's still something I question. Mm-hmm. And I think both are true. Both are true. Exactly. 
we are holding both at the same time because we can be so embodied in our spiritual connection to ourselves, to the light, to the universe, and also have an awareness that the world can be dark and eat you up and be awful sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and back to your like original question about how, how has it been now, now having joy again, embodied there was a long time where this part of me wouldn't allow it. And I had to work really like through a lot in therapy with EMDR to figure out that the ghost of the the girl who died that day, that version of me was in me. And she was like, what the fuck? You're going to fucking smile. You bitch. I fucking died for you you better not be happy. You better not be smiling right now. You are not allowed. I had to get enough awareness to see her in me and realize that she needed more grieving. There there was even more grieving to do for her so that she was respected for what she went through. And it wasn't until I, and and it's like, I can cry again because it's like, I had to basically have a funeral for myself like over and over and over again. Like, it's so sad. And sometimes she still needs to be grieved. But then once I did enough grieving and started to um, accept that people actually support me in being happy and, and seeing that people were happy when I felt happy, that helped. That helped me see that I was allowed to be happy again. And it, yeah. What did you feel like you were grieving? The loss of my life where this didn't happen. There's, there's never my life anymore where this didn't happen. It's forever part of my story and my history. And I'm in a position where I'm really lucky. I'm lucky I got out <laughs> before it got way worse. Um, And I'm lucky that he got arrested and that this isn't going to happen to more women. Um, But it's just really sad that it did happen. It's just sad. So it's grieving basically that there's no more innocence of, and this is coming from someone who had already been sexually assaulted, but I think because it was a stranger and it was so shocking, it it was so like earth shattering. Um, And it's also such a rare crime. Like the crime he did is just very rare. It just doesn't happen. Like, how does it, that's been something to grapple with. Like how my room, how me, how all of it, it's so rare. Um, but yeah, grieving the past essentially of when this didn't exist. Something I've been, I've been going through as well. I, did mushrooms the other day and it was the first time I had done them since Remy died. And I kept avoiding them because I'm like, I really don't want to go there Uh and like address this, you know, it's like you keep yourself from that deep grief. And what I had, I guess I hadn't realized would happen is that I would be grieving like this thing that was kind of obvious, the death of what feels like my child. But then it was like grieving things and like having realizations about my life and awarenesses that I'm like, where in the actual fuck is this coming from? Like, how did this thing over here that seemingly has nothing to do with any of this other stuff now bring all this other stuff to the surface that I get to grieve, let go of, have awarenesses around completely change my belief system or the way I operate because of, 
I, I wonder if that's something that happened for you where you're like, okay, I'm grieving this thing. Yes, this is pretty obvious. Of course I need to go through this and like the death of the old and rebirth of the new blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like you're hit with like all this shit out of nowhere. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thanks for pinpointing that because that didn't come to mind at first, but I have totally felt that where I'm grieving for all women. It's mm. so crazy. It's so heavy, so heavy. Like, and on the opposite side of it, when I positively ID'd my attacker, there was this insane moment um, right after. I, first of all, physically something happened. I don't even know what, but I hit my body reacted and I hit something and the seatbelt went flying in the cop car. Um, but right after that, I was overwhelmed with this feeling of connection to all victims and all survivors and women. And it said, this happened to me because I can handle it. And it was like, not just for me, it was for all of them. And then in the grieving, I've felt their pain. It's like, as if my hands reach beyond my hands, like spiritually, they reach so long and they're like wrapped around the whole world, which is mother earth and crying for all the women on her. Mm. What does it feel like for you to be able to carry that level of responsibility and emotion Mm. for others? destiny. (laughs) It's so deep. It's so deep. It's not me. Like, again, what I was saying, how people are like, you're so strong. It's like, I don't really feel like I have a choice. Everything feels meant to be. And like destiny, like I feel really connected to Joan of Arc and I always have. And the attack, I think brought that archetype even more forward for me. And it's like, I don't know if I've ever not felt the responsibility to all these women. I think I've felt it my whole life. It's very deep. It was, it was like it needed to come forward in the way you were meant to show up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just a brief interruption with this incredible conversation with Rachel LaForest. I want to tell you about my favorite witchy product. Yes, it's Organifi. It is officially fall. It's kind of officially winter here in Denver. We have already had plenty of snow. Um, It has been like seven degrees. So you know that I am drinking Organifi pretty much all day long. And so is Connor. We, as you know, are obsessed with the golds. I am a chocolate basic bitch. uh, So please don't judge me. And if you do, I really don't give shit. Organifi is so delicious. I have told you over and over again that it helped me get off coffee. And I was experiencing so much anxiety uh, and like shaking from coffee and caffeine. And I was having some stomach problems and it was just, it was a hot mess to be honest. And so getting off coffee was the best move I made. And I have utilized Organifi in the morning to help me do that because I'm definitely a routine person And I needed something really thick and rich and frothy and delicious to help me make that transition and to also feel like I was nourishing my body. And so Organifi is amazing because of all the superfoods that each of the different products has. Um, The Gold has nine superfoods that really help with deep sleep and recovery. And for me, that is so, so important to be able to calm down my nervous system, calm down my digestive, my, wow. I can't talk. Calm down my digestion. 
it's fine. I speak for a living <laughs> and, um, and be able to get a lot of different, uh, nourishing ingredients in every single cup. So the golds have turmeric and mushrooms and lemon balm and ginger, and you can blend them together. They have the pumpkin spice, which is limited edition. So make sure you get on that shit before it goes away. Um, and the gold and the chocolate, the chocolate is just chocolate is life. My trainer drinks my Organifi when I go into the gym, like such a rude ass bitch. And she was like, can you just make me some? So I now at home before I go work out, I'm a barista making Organifi for Savannah. You're welcome, Savannah. And she's like, this tastes so good. It's like a cup of honey. And the beautiful thing is it's not filled with honey and a bunch of crap sugar. It is so, so clean. And that is the beauty of this. So if you want to try Organifi, you can go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Use the code Kelly T. You'll get 15% off. I promise I won't call you a bitch unless you force me to make you drinks at seven o'clock in the morning. Just kidding. I really love doing it. The Enneagram 2 in me loves to be a helper and be of service. So if I get to be of service with Organifi, then I'm a happy camper. All right, let's get back to this one with Rach. How did all of this affect your connection to sex and your sexuality? Oh my gosh, majorly. Like this is what my book is all about, being sexually empowered before, during, and after assault um, and how sexuality can actually save you. I had already been on a sexual awakening and journey for a couple years before the attack. So thank goodness, because when I saw what my attacker laid out for me, which was like head to toe laundry, I was instructed to put on, including shoes and everything. Before I knew it was an attacker, I assumed it was my partner. I assumed it was like a happy surprise afternoon delight, which he would never do a surprise, but like you fill in the blanks based on your sexuality. And I would embrace something like that. So my attitude was positive. Now my attacker who was hiding under my bed heard my positive response because it was out loud. It was vocal. I assumed that my boyfriend was maybe outside the window or something waiting. So it was out loud. And that allowed me to later pivot and lean into his um, demands and convince him that I would go put on the laundry, which is when I escaped. So like, <laughs> how has sexuality affected? I mean, sexual, like, it's affected my whole life, literally saving my life. <laughs> this question is huge for me. Um, and now if we're talking healing, like after the assault, of course it was shut down. There was, I was a newborn baby. Newborn babies are not sexual. <laughs> so I was completely disconnected from sex for a long time, but it is so important to me. I was like, I am not letting this motherfucker take this from me. I will have an orgasm again someday. And I knew that it wasn't going to be necessarily anytime soon. Um, but when I did slowly start to get back into sex, obviously it was with my partner who I'm really comfortable and safe with and supported. And it was a slow process. And yeah, I was really triggered for a while and I had to work through that in therapy. I mean, it's, it's all the things. Um, but eventually I got back to it and, and, um, a lot of times it would be an anger release for many months. Like sex would be an, a way for me to release some of the extreme anger I had from the attack. And I'm okay with that. And my partner was okay with that. 
it looked like me screaming into pillows <laughs> while coming and then crying and him holding me. And we were okay with that. I was supported. Um, yeah. Uh, and now we're, like you said, about exactly a year out from it. I had my rebirth day a couple weeks ago and it's, it's so incredible that I get to feel joyous and fun with sex again. And, and I'm doing my only fans and being fully empowered by it. Um, and to me, it just makes me really happy to be an example for other survivors mm. that it's possible. When you were sort of coming out of that and connecting, reconnecting with your body and finding mm -hmm. that sensuality that I can look in the mirror and see a sexy woman. What was that like? What was the dialogue in your head? What was the feeling in your body? Well, it's so interesting you bring up the mirror because I don't know if you had this phenomenon, but I couldn't look in mirrors for many months after the attack. Like I would wash my hands with my face down. There was no, I couldn't look in mirrors. And I think it's because I wasn't in my body. So it was kind of freaky to see a reflection of myself mm -hmm. and I couldn't take pictures. Nothing that, nothing that showed me. Um, but once I finally did, I'm trying to tap back into like what that felt like. I mean, it was such a tiptoe. It was like, I would have all these baby steps, which is again, the newborn growing up with the adult consciousness. I remember one baby step was like, we got, um, for the podcast, we got sponsored by a sex toy company. So I got a new vibrator. And for me, it was really spiritual timing because my vibrator was in evidence with the LAPD because my attacker was using it. So it had to be. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't even have a vibrator around to, to mess with, you know, in that whole time. And then, and then we like get this sponsor and it, it kind of was like, okay, let me see if I'm ready and just tiptoeing with it. And, um, really, like you said earlier, being gracious with myself, not putting pressure on myself, um, and taking those little baby steps of like, Oh, tonight I have a night to myself and I had a glass of wine and I caught my reflection and like, Oh, I just remembered I have really sexy curves. Whoa. I forgot about that. And I kind of got to rediscover my sexiness. Mm. I love that. And you're, yeah. you're redefining and writing a new story and script for what your sexuality means and what your connection to your body is. Because I imagine for you, there's a level of self-respect that you didn't have before because you hadn't been in this situation. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I am my biggest fan and my biggest defender. Like you will not fuck with me. I have the power. I mean, I mean, when you save your own life, you get kind of like a power surge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Eventually>. <laughs> and you see, and you know, this, like from all of your journey, you see the bullshit so clearly. Mm. It's like coming back from war. You see what matters because you faced death and you survive. So you're like, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You don't matter. Get out of my energy. No, like I stick the fuck up for myself. Like I never did before. Oh, and your video on people pleasing and breaking that cycle. That's what's happened for me too, since the attack. Mm. No more, no more people pleasing. Why were you people pleasing? 
Oh, I'm trying to discover the why in therapy. <laughs> um, it's a pattern I've, I've had for a long time of like letting people get away with mistreating me. Um, and I think obviously after the attack, I, I made such a clear choice that no, you're not going to get away with this. I'm going to save my life and run. Um, that it really solidified it in the new way for me of not people pleasing, but I think I did it. It became a way of moving through the world and surviving, you know, it becomes subconscious. You get, it works once when you're little or you have to do it for some reason. And then it starts to solidify and becomes your pattern. Um, I, I think the original why was something to do with um, receiving love, you know, making sure everyone else is comfortable and okay, being an overgiver because then they're not mad at me and then they don't see me as a bad person and they love me. So leaning into shame and guilt instead of self-love. Was there a part of you that was trying to protect people from seeing you by being of service to them? Totally. Because my fear was that they'd see me as a bad person because I had all that shame and guilt. Hmm. What, what was it for you? I'm curious your why. Yeah, for me, um, I've gotten pretty clear about this just growing up in my house. I mean, my, I love my parents. Um, my mom passed away this year and that really caused me to take a look at this in, in a deeper way. And our relationship, I felt like I always had to be perfect and, mm-hmm. um, you know, put on a happy face and be an achiever. I remember my mom would always tell me this story about coming to her at five years old. And I asked her what the best school in the country was. And she told me that it was Stanford. She, she said later in my like late twenties that she said it because she just like thought of a really good school and was like Stanford. Like, let me shut this five-year-old up. Who's asking me this fucking weird ass question. But I spent my, yeah, but I spent my entire life saying I'm going to Stanford. I got a scholarship to Stanford. I committed to play volleyball at Stanford. And then I was 16 years old in the shower, having a complete breakdown because I had no idea why I was going to Stanford other than my mom told me it was the best school in the country. So I decommitted and ended up going to USC because that's where I actually wanted to go. But that's the perfect example of how I lived my whole life. It was like even working in sports. I don't like sports. And I covered the Lakers and Dodgers and was in sports television for 12 years. Like How does that happen? Because I'm trying to make someone else happy and Mm -hmm. prove to them that I am worthy of love. And it's even, I, you know, I've been in therapy a lot this year too. Thank you, BetterHelp. And they, yeah, they, and my therapist and I were talking about this and we were talking about soul fire and why I started the company. And she goes, what I am hearing from you is that you started this to prove to your mom that you were good enough that you were still achieving at a high level. I'm the CEO of a six figure company. Like, look at me, I'm still killing the game because I had left a career behind that was really what made her happy. And I felt guilty. And so I was like, how can I create something that will make her proud again? And not that I don't love Soulfire, I love everything about it, but the intention was Mm -hmm. so rooted in this lack and feeling undervalued and feeling like I need to prove something and please you. and. It's just been so interesting to sort of let all of that go and and talk about being a baby again. I don't know if this is how you feel, but I'm like, I'm starting from scratch. Like when she died, I felt like, oh, I'm starting over and redefining my whole life. How do I want to live? And that is so scary. 
Yes. Oh, it's the unknown. Mm-hmm. It's the the dark void. It's the ultimate feminine. It's mysterious. It's very terrifying, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's also where all the magic lives yes. because now you have all the possibilities to create what you want. I've been saying the last few weeks, the magic is in the void. Yeah. It is in that it. void where you find yourself, your truth, your uh, alignment, your connection. It is in that space because anywhere outside of that space, there is noise and chaos and stories that are not yours. Yes. And there's limited possibilities outside that space because you've already made choices. So anytime you get thrust into that space, it's terrifying and it's exciting if you can see it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the reason I initially was like, okay, we got to do this conversation was (laughs) because you are now an OnlyFans queen. And I'm so excited for this for you. And honestly, I wanted to have this conversation because I wanted to admit my judge, my judginess, not to you, yeah. but only fans in general. Right. Yeah. My perception was like, oh, a bunch of women selling their bodies for money. Like this is basically porn. Not that I'm against that. I watch porn, so it's not, yeah. you know, and I appreciate like the female form and all of those things. But I was just like, oh, cool. A platform for girls to make money and be naked. And I really like had to sit with that because what started happening is a lot of people I respect the shit out of have OnlyFans accounts. And I'm like, oh no, like it's supposed to be women that I don't, don't quote unquote respect. Right. You know, slutty girls who are just like, don't have self-respect. And that is such old pattern thinking. And so I really sat with that and I called myself out and I'm like, you're being a fucking dick. Let's just like take a second and think about what's going on. And so then Larae, who was on your show, Slutty Girl mm-hmm. Problems, absolutely adore her. She's on yeah. OnlyFans. We have a couple of friends who live here in Denver who are amazing women on OnlyFans. Then you get yours. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, this makes so much sense. Like, this is a way, one, fucking Instagram and all these things and censorship. We can't do anything anymore. But two, it's like, there is such an empowerment of female form and sharing yourself and also being paid. I had to, yes. Like I had to really look at that and be like, how much stuff are you giving away for free? Like how much stuff and why? Because you don't feel like you deserve to be paid for things. Like I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm going with this other than admitting what an asshole I was. And then you got on there and I was like, texting you immediately. I am so excited for this. This is amazing. Like, fuck yes. And I was like, oh, like this makes sense. So how in the hell did your ass literally end up on OnlyFans? (laughs) That's right. Literally, because my handle is good ass goddess. Um, And as soon as I, as soon as I nailed the name, I was like, we're in, this Mm -hmm. is my future. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, it's something I wanted to do for so long before I even knew about the platform OnlyFans, which admittedly, when I got on, I still didn't know much about the platform. Um, but I, but I learned quickly. Um, here, here's another thing. I don't look around. I don't do it in Instagram and I don't do it in OnlyFans. I go in and I create whatever I fucking feel. I am not following anyone's examples. So even if what you thought might be true, like maybe it is kind of like porn on there. I don't know because I don't look around. 
I'm doing my own thing Mm -hmm. and I'm getting paid for it. And it's my world I'm creating. And it's so empowering. Um, But yeah, the process was like, so actually I started making videos for this idea uh, maybe like two or three years ago. And just, they were just on my phone and computer because I love making like essentially feel pieces and music videos where I'm kind of like essentially modeling um, and doing like artistic things with it. And I'm really connected with music. So I like kind of painting with a music video with my body. Um, But I had so much shame. And for me, the big hang up was that my family would find out if my name is connected to it. I only cared about if my family found out. I didn't really give a fuck about the internet or other people, but it was like my people. They're very religious. And I grew up in Catholicism, which is the opposite of OnlyFans. Yeah, same girl. <laughs> it's like only sin. Yeah. Um, they would call it that. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, it's like, it's already been a lifelong journey of unlearning all that shame. And like, so I'm just sitting on this beauty, this like the beauty of the female form, the beauty of what I see when I dance in the mirror and touch myself the beauty of my self-care, my bathing, my yoga. Um, and I, and I started making these videos, but doing nothing with them. And then it was the same for me where it was like people I respected got on there. And I was like, yeah, no, no fucks given I'm getting on there and I am putting my name behind it. I'm not hiding it. If my family finds out they're allowed to do their own self-censorship, Um, I don't have to overtly share with them. I'm allowed to have privacy, but, but it's public. It's very public. So if they find out, they find out, um, and we'll deal with it. And I was like, oh, and I talked to my partner, um, and he was really supportive of it, which we can go more into that. Um, and, um, and the rest was her story. What is it like for you to, have people pay you to see you naked? It's, not that you're always naked, but yeah. Yeah. Um, not that I'm always naked, but I do charge for things with nudity. So that's exactly what they're paying for. And it feels amazing. Like I've always known the pussy has the power since, <laughs> read, since reading pussy by Regina Thomas hour. <laughs> and like, I learned about how, um, courtesans used to like flash their pussy in shows. And I even tried that once with a guy and he literally fell over. Like I have learned the pussy definitely has this magical power. And, um, you know, I felt like you, I was like, Oh, I'm giving so much away for free on Instagram. I'm essentially working for Facebook, which Mm -hmm. is a fucked up company Mm -hmm. run by a fucked up white man. And I'm going to take the pussy power back and sell this experience. And I don't even feel like I'm selling my body. I'm selling feelings. I'm selling the way I make someone feel just based on my self-care. And this was always the vision. I was like, is there a way that I can make money, basically support myself to do self-care as work? Like it's like a positive feedback loop because my self-care is beautiful. Every woman's is we're goddesses. Mm -hmm. Like it's a beautiful thing to see, to see a woman touch herself or massage herself or take a bath or do yoga. And, and just from a business standpoint, I was like, oh, we could work this in. Oh, we can work this in, honey. (laughs) 
was like, how do you sustain it? Like, it has to be something you enjoy doing. I love doing my self-care. So pop the camera on while I'm doing it. And, and then it just sits there and continues to make money for me while, while I'm making people feel good, which is also part of my mission. Oh, and I'm an example of you should have desires and you should go for them. And you should actually be proud of that. Um, especially sexual desires, especially as a woman. Yeah. And especially as a survivor. Yeah. I wake up and think about it every day. I'm enjoying it so much, Kelly. I've only been in there two and a half weeks and I'm like, I'm thriving. I'm in the top 15%. I'm climbing. I'm enjoying. And it's like, you set it up. You state what you want to do. I'm not doing sex acts, but maybe in the future I will. I'm doing sensual art and like beautiful sexual art. And I get praised and like worshiped in there. I mean, what woman doesn't want that? Mm -hmm. I'm curious what it's like when you're getting messages from people. I've seen like Lorraine, I've seen some of the messages she posts from men specifically. And they're, (laughs) they're like, yeah, they're kind of triggering for me, which is why Mm -hmm. I don't think that I would do an OnlyFans. I block um, almost all words on my social media. Um, because coming out of TV, I was like, I can't handle this. I can't handle people com- constantly commenting on me being sexy or my legs or my feet or blah, blah, blah. I mean, the list is like 40 words long, right? So I blocked it. So that would be my issue of people constantly coming in and commenting about it in a mm. sexual way. I'm curious how that is for you. Well, that's so interesting because it's all about context. I think Mm -hmm. like for me, I explicitly say, welcome to the land of worshiping my ass. Like I'm asking you to worship me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I'm only, you know, 27 fans in, so I'm sure the messages like that will eventually come. But so far, like the one person who asked for a video with a sex act was so sweet about it. He was, He was like, um, I don't want to come off as a creep and I don't know how to ask this, but like, would you, um, pleasure yourself like in a private video for me? And for me right now, I'm just not, I'm not into that. I don't want to do that. Um, so I gently told him no. Um, and it was totally respectful. And I was like, thanks for being so sweet about it. Like circle back. You never know. (laughs) Well, I think you're right. It's about the the intention and also the respect you can like, you can be sexual and ask for things or talk about things and not be a total fucking creep. Yeah. I think that's what we forget. It's like, Oh, I have to be super like gross in order to get what I want or need. And it doesn't need to be like that. There's a level of empowerment and self-respect that you can bring into an interaction with someone else. And it be a really beautiful experience for both people. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's just because like back to the context, it's like, well, I don't know. They're paying to come into this private world with me versus on Instagram and TV. It's, it's free and it's like so public. Um, and so maybe people take more, well, I guess LaRae is getting those messages in there. So it's going to happen. Um, I guess I'll, I'll update you when when I start getting those. Do you feel, are they all men that are in there? No, I have quite a few women and I love it. Yeah. I hope to have like all types of people, non-binary mm-hmm. anyone, because I'm exploring, you know, since being a queer woman, um, I'm exploring like some androgynous shoots and like, I want to play around with my masculine a little bit in there. I mean, it's, 
the whole thing is an experiment. I actually made an, an intention candle and I said, um, I keep experimenting. Mm. That's been my thing lately. It's like, treat everything as an experiment. And I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I share that route with you that I'm not good enough. That was also a driver of my people pleasing. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of perfectionists are people pleasers. Um, and I, I, part of turning around the perfectionism is been treating everything like an experiment. You're just collecting data. Mm -hmm. You're trying things. You're seeing what works. I'm doing this with my Instagram and my OnlyFans. Love. Throw shit at the wall, see what sticks. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. So maybe I, as I'm experimenting, I'll have to experiment with getting messages like that. Yeah. And how do I deal with it? Yeah. I think if I did it, I would almost want it to be like a community of women who, yes, it's sexual, but it's almost just like this way to see and hold each other mm. and to appreciate that because think about it. You're basically doing stuff on OnlyFans that a lot of wellness self-care influencers are doing on Instagram. They have more clothes on than you do, right. but it's basically right. the same shit and you're just more yeah. sensual in the practice. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we do that on Instagram. We like rally around other women and we say, this is so amazing. And like, you know, whatever you're making celery juice or you're in the bath and that's so beautiful. What if we took that and everyone was naked? Like, what if that was just what it was? And it's not about... Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be about pleasuring yourself. It could be about sex, but it, what if it was just about worshiping the female body and collectively joining as women in order to do so? Oh, I love that, Kelly. I could so see you creating that space. And I hope that my space has some of that. Mm -hmm. That's like similar vibe. Um, and I think uh, that's why I encourage women to get into mine because I think it's very inspirational. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm trying to create more and more spaces like with the book and, um, other secret projects I'm working on, um, <laughs> yet to come that give women the space to have these conversations. Yes. Think about how many women don't get to talk about sex. Even though we say women talk about sex more than men. It's like, no, I know full, full on and full well that there's so many women who don't get to talk about their sexuality mm -hmm. and their sensuality. Mm. <sighs> it's so, so good. It's so I'm good. I'm really happy. <laughs> what did, what I want to know what, are we saying his name or are we calling him your partner? Oh, you can say Ty. Okay. Um, what, so just so everyone knows, I met Rachel through her boyfriend, Ty. Ty and I've known each other since I was 22 or 23 he helped me get a job in New York when I was working in television. And then we've mm -hmm. just stayed friends. And then he was like, Hey, I'm dating this girl. She and her friend have a podcast. You should really meet them. And the rest is history, as you say. Exactly. Um, but I fucking adore Ty. He is just the sweetest, most amazing man of all time. And he, speaking of worshiping, he worships you in the most beautiful way. I love it. I love that you two are together, but I want to know his response. Thank you. I so agree with you. Um, he's my knight and I'm his queen. And I highly, I feel like you have that with Connor too. Yes. Highly recommend a queen knight relationship versus the old outdated queen king. Um, the knight is there to support the queen and it's so hot. <laughs> like I have never gotten bored with this man. It's amazing. Um, so I'm trying to think back, like, when did I first mention, I, I mean, Honestly, it was not a shock to him in any way. It was not a surprise. Um, I'm the one who initiated very early on the conversation on openness. So this has been something about our relationship since just a few weeks into dating. 
And he's been such a trooper. Like he, he, when we met, he was in a place where he wanted to be out of his comfort zone and he wanted to learn. And boy, has he been on that journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, he is constantly changing and growing and it's so beautiful and, and it, it does not always look pretty. And I love all of it. Um, he, he's open-minded and he was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm so into you and I'm willing to try like direct quote, wow. direct quote. And that was kind of the same with the only fans response. It's like, Oh, okay. This is another new level where he has to check his ego, reevaluate what masculinity means, which he's constantly been trying to unlearn and relearn, um, in his own way. And, um, you know, honestly, like we, we work it in kind of everything we, we lean into with our sex life. Like if I'm bleeding on my cycle, we, we work that in, we make it like a witchy ceremony. And that's new for both of us. Wait, um, Ty is getting witchy with you. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Drag. Yes. I know. He's like this grew up on a farm Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, captain of the football team, <laughs> glass of milk. <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing sex magic and he loves it. Oh my God. That brings it's me hilarious. so much joy. I know, I know. <laughs> it's so funny. He's got the, the man hands, but he's crawling into the spiritual world <laughs> <laughs> oh. because, because he looks up to me as his queen. He like follows my guidance on it. He's just very open-minded. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with like, with only fans, I gave him a free subscription. So he gets to see everything. That's he amazing. gets to be in there. Yeah. He's, um, and plus there's, a, there's like extra bonuses that we sort of cater to the relationship. So like I have a wish list where I pick out amazing like outfits to shoot and wigs and makeup and like just anything creative I want and people on there buy it for me. And then for them, I make a little thank you video, trying it on and showing them how it looks. And for my partner, we get to have fun with it in person. Love he gets that. to feel he's the only, and I remind him like, you're the only one who gets to feel this. Like you're the only one who gets to touch it on me. Um, so I make sure to like honor my primary partner as my primary, you know? Wow. That's beautiful because Con, I joked with Connor and told him I was going to start at OnlyFans <laughs> and he almost crawled out of his fucking skin. So it's tough. I was like, uh-huh, exactly. Um, but he says he's going to start one now. <laughs> Although he says, so, you know, he has Patreon now and he's like, yeah. this is like my version of OnlyFans. And I told him, and maybe you can help me convince him. I think yeah. he should do a naked photo shoot, but because his show is political, wear like American flags and like bald eagle shirts and like fucking weird ass MAGA hats with like stuff crossed out. Stop but like, out. yeah, but like be naked. I was like, and then use that to promo your Patreon. That can be like your OnlyFans, yes. right? I love that. Oh, I love that. Like, I mean, why not use all the gifts at our disposal? Mm -hmm. Like you guys are beautiful bodied, like smart people. Why not do that idea? Thank you. No fucks given. Yeah. And I think I wanted to say this too. I think, you know, my judginess aside now. And now I'm like, okay, I understand. I also understand why it makes me uncomfortable. I still am working through my own sexuality and my comfort in like really being bare and naked in every way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I think what I have learned in watching what you've done is that you give someone like me permission to be more raw and to be more vulnerable. And I'm, I like watch your little teasers or whatever. And I'm just so in awe. And I think, wow, okay, Rachel can do that. Why can't I do that? And even if that means I'm just shooting a sexy video and sending it to Connor and that's like the extent, like who cares? It's giving me more permission to be sensual in my own body and feel safe and feel comfortable being outside of that box that I feel like I have been limited to. And I think that's really at the end of the day, the power that you are creating in this OnlyFans coven you have, Mm -hmm. especially for women to step outside that box and really lean into appreciating their body for what it is and how much it brings to them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Beautifully said. And thanks for reflecting that because mm-hmm. that's totally the goal. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy. It makes you feel that way. Like, I just feel like I'm here to be an example and that takes bravery, but I'm really brave. Yes. <laughs> like it comes easily to me. And so I'm not going to waste that. I'm going to use that and, and be the example mm-hmm. so that basically I can build an army of empowered women and people. I also want you to speak to judgment of other women. Mm. I think you do an amazing job of not being judgmental and also really holding safe space and not just for women, but for all types of people to lean into who they are and to fully show up and to feel safe in doing that. Um, What is it? What is it for you that you have been able to step in judgment free and just really hold space for people? Such a good question. This has been coming up for me. So twofold. The first thing is mudita, which is an Eastern philosophy I learned maybe three years ago. It's the opposite of schadenfreude, which is like taking joy in someone's pain. Mm. Mudita is taking joy in someone's pleasure or success. And as an actor in LA, (laughs) it, it pits you against other women because it seems like they're your competition when you're both auditioning for the same role, et cetera. And I had to really reckon with that. And thank goodness my sister taught me about Mudita when she did, because it changed everything. I started to see how everything that's meant for me comes to me and everything that's meant for them comes to them and a rising tide lifts all ships. And oh my gosh, it actually feels so good to be happy for people. It It feels so much better. Why was I not doing that for so long? And I got tastes of it and it just kept snowballing. Like it, it made me so Oh, And by the way, like in a threesome recently, I felt another woman's orgasm. And it was amazing. Like I felt, I was so tuned into her that I felt her orgasm. And that was the epitome of Mudita. Yes. (laughs) It felt like a deep internal soul orgasm to feel her come like amazing. So I am just on a roll with like, with that philosophy. Um, And then I think that helps me not judge because I can see ways to be happy for people. Another part is empathy and finding empathy for others rather than judgment. Okay. But the second fold for me is I have been thinking about judgment a lot lately. And I actually think there's a place for it. There is a place for some constructive judgment. And that is with Donald Trump. That's what I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's my girl. Literally. (laughs) Because it's important that we that we do judge our, our fellow human and look at 
are they hurting masses, large masses of people? Then, then yes, I need to judge that critically. Mm-hmm. I need to be very aware of that and I need to do something about it. Isn't is that also a level of having just discernment in general? I think yeah, it's like critical thinking and discernment yeah. um, because it's, yeah, I mean, I judge him all day long. So yeah, you know, <laughs> if you want to talk about that, we could do that, but that's really more Connor's vibe. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's like, I don't think that I have been critically thinking or utilizing discernment enough. And I think that that is what someone like him brings forward is it asks you to step the fuck up and use discernment when decision making and ask better questions. Yes. Ask yourself clarifying questions. And that is discernment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Come on. We need more critical thinkers. We need people to wake the fuck up and discern. That is huge. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to decide if, if like there's a difference between discernment and judgment, I guess judgment has this negative connotation. Why? Like you you have to judge to survive. You have to judge if fruit is rotten before you eat it. You know, like it's like a choice. Yeah. You have to make a choice or make a judgment, right? right, Based on knowing things. But what I think is that we make a lot of judgments without knowing or without realizing why we're judging. So like I was judging only fans because I need to lean more into my sexuality and my own comfort. That wasn't about anyone else. If I'm judging someone like Donald Trump, I don't need to lean into any of my shit. No, (laughs) no, no, we're good. We're full. Like I'm fully judging you for being a piece of shit. Like that's just what it is. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well said. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know what else is like related to the OnlyFans? I'm, I'm, um, I'm practicing what I preach because on basic witches, I, I always talk about supporting sex work and, Mm -hmm. um, bringing that above ground. And that's something I've known since college that I wanted to fight for. Um, because I saw, I I was lucky to travel because my mom worked for an airline. So I've seen a lot of the world from a very young age. And I saw how in other countries it was above ground and supported. And I saw how it felt safer. Um, and like, I want so badly to lead in that charge to bring the divine feminine above ground to bring women having the agency over their bodies and independent wealth from it. And I just wanted to say that because it's my hope for the future. Well, I think it's true. I mean, if you look at it, of course, there's going to be, um, I always remember hearing stories about strippers who are like lawyers in school. And I'm like, exactly. We sit over here and act like these people are strippers because whatever X, Y, Z reason in reality, how many people are trying to get by and make a living? And this is an amazing way to make a lot of money doing so it's like being a bartender like it's the same stuff we all do things and whether you love it or you don't love it there are things that we do in order to make a living to be successful I don't think that we should have to feel shameful about our bodies because of that and that's not something I believed up until maybe the last year Mm -hmm. but I really understand the modality now and the ability to take ownership of your body and be in decision and choice for yourself. Um, now, if you are being, you know, you have a pimp and you're in a whole situation like that, obviously that's different. And I don't want anyone to be controlled or you know sold or anything, but and if, that's because it's been forced underground yes, by men. Right. But if you have the ability to make choice and be 
in your sovereignty and ownership of yourself. And that is what you want. And it brings you joy, more power to you. More pussy power to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was so well said, Kelly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Rach, I love you. This has been amazing. I could literally talk to you all day long. Um, Congratulations on Cosmo. Congratulations on OnlyFans. Congratulations on all the things that you're not telling people about that I get to know about right now. And I'm so happy for you. (laughs) I honestly, I mean this deeply. It is such an honor to witness your growth and the way you are taking ownership of your life and in turn impacting so many people, including myself, including Connor. All of our hosts at Soulfire adore you and are just so in awe of the person that you and both Leah are. Um, and I just, I just thank you and love you so much. I thank you so much. Literally couldn't do it without you. You're my guardian angel. I can't thank you enough. Thank you, <laughs> Kelly. I love you so much. I love you. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.